First and foremost, I want everybody to take a deep breath and relax, okay? I feel like my eyes sticking to one side of my brain and shit. You know what I mean? Go to bed, Okay, my name is Taylor Dunn. Y'all keep it going. You are now listening to the Mac Daddy Seminar, motherfucker. <laughs> What's cracking, pimps? What's going on? And welcome to episode 41 of the Mac Daddy Seminar. As always, I'm your host, Taylor Dunn. And I know I say this pretty much every episode recently, but I apologize for not sticking to my promise and posting these episodes uh, concurrently every single week. Okay? I think we can all agree that right now the world is such a crazy place not knowing what is coming next it's really hard to kind of plan what your next move is so in the spirit of that i think it would be safe to say that everybody is feeling a bit anxious maybe a bit depressed and all around your mental health may not be where you think it should be um You know, I personally, I've been having, you know, my own personal struggles just with everything that's been going on. I've been having trouble writing and, you know, even doing this podcast just because things are changing so often now. It's really hard to get into a creative mind state. So the whole purpose of this podcast isn't funny or joking or anything like that. This is more of a seminar, if you will. Um, so I hope you take the advice that I took, and that is if you're struggling with something, you reach out to somebody. Okay. So that's what I did. The person I reached out to, um, has been a good friend of mine for over 10 years, even though we haven't seen each other in probably five to six years, we still keep, we keep up with each other on social media And we reach out to each other through messages every so often. And it's just really been a joy to watch her grow as a young woman. And, you know, especially coming from, you know, what we were into when we were teenagers to now, you know, it really, you know, was kind of inspiring to see her and her family grow. Um, The person I'm talking about today on the subject of mental health, she's not a mental health professional, but... I'm often inspired by a lot of the things that she posts, and I hope you feel the exact same way. There are a couple of opinions that get tossed around in this podcast, and I'm sure she would agree with me. They're not meant to, you know, hurt anybody's feelings or put anybody down. It's just we literally just had a raw conversation for almost three hours. So if it hurts your feelings, just take into context like we're We're talking amongst ourselves here, okay? But without giving too much away, um, my guest today is a longtime friend. Please give it up for my guest on the Mac Daddy Seminar today, Peyton Thompson. Okay, whenever you're ready. Thanks for having me. I'm so happy to be here. Absolutely, absolutely. How's that little one doing? 
perfect. She gets fatter and smarter every day. Isn't it weird? Like, it's, it's weird because when they're like, oh, they grow up so fast, yada, yada, yada. They don't mention like literally one night she'll be having trouble doing something and the next day she's like, oh, it's fine. I got it. It's whatever. No big yeah. deal. I can do that. I, I, would, I was so secure about her not being able to roll over for so long. And then just one day she was like, oh, you thought I couldn't roll over? <laughs> Tricked you. And now it's on to making sure she doesn't fall off the bed. <laughs> yeah. I remember those days. Those were... I'm sure people, people, that's one of the main things about when you have a baby is like everybody feels like if they have kids, they know more about it than you do. <laughs> and it's something I've kind of worked my way out of because once I got to like the two-year-old stage and the three-year-old stage, I caught myself doing it. I'm like, oh, you think it's bad now? Wait till they start doing this. <laughs> mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, everybody, when they're first going through it, it's new and every baby is different. Like, I was on deployment when Lily was like a year. She had just turned a year and like two or three months old. And I was on deployment for six months. And I was so worried about the stuff that I was going to miss because she hadn't started walking yet. Mm -hmm. And I was so worried I was going to miss her first steps. And it worried my wife because she was like, you know, she's not walking yet. The doctor is saying like she should be walking by now. And it was like two weeks after I got back, she started walking. Aww. So she waited on me to start walking. So I was happy about that. Aww. I love that. That's so sweet. Yeah. I can't even imagine Obi walking. I can't, I could, even when she was a preemie and she was this big, I couldn't imagine her, like me ever having to hold her with two hands. And now that she's just this fat little ginger snap of a baby, I just, Every day it blows my mind. Yeah. I can't even believe that I gave birth. Like in general, in general, I can't believe that I did that. Now, if you don't, if you don't mind me asking, and if you don't feel like answering, that's okay. But did you have a C-section or did you do natural birth? I did do natural. Um, no epidural, no pain medication before, during, or after. Um, it was, <laughs> it was, uh, a, it was a lot, but I spent my entire pregnancy preparing for that unmedicated birth because I, I have nothing against epidural either. I'm not like anti-epidural. I said from the very beginning, like, if I need that, I'm going to get it. It's no big deal. Um, I just love the fact that a woman's body is so powerful and knowledge is power. Um, so I was like, you know, I'm just going to learn my body in and out and I know that my body can do this. So why not? And if I'm being honest, I probably wouldn't have that much of a choice either way because when my water broke, I was nine centimeters. So they were oh. just like, so happy you didn't want this pain because <laughs> it's kind of too late. Yep, it's, yeah. it's happening now. Yeah. Yeah. It was a lot. Um, I wanted to do a birth story on it, but you know, I was in the hospital for a week before I gave birth. So it was just traumatic. Oh yeah. You know, whenever, uh, Lily was born. So they told Zaina that she was going to have a C-section because she was like full blown full term. I think she was like, I may be messing this up, but she was like 36, even maybe 37 weeks. If I got that wrong, she's going to be mad at me, but it's okay. So basically the baby was ready to come out. Mm -hmm. And they told her like, Hey, 
you know, we're going to induce you tomorrow at 9 a.m. So we knew like we're going to have a baby tomorrow, mm-hmm. which was kind of nice. So we, you know, I called my in-laws and they came into town and I let my chain of command know and they were like, okay, yeah, you're good. Because in the military, they give you 14 days off after, if you're a male, they give you 14 days off the birth of the baby. Just to, because those first 10, 15 days, those are kind of nerve wracking. So, well, also the mother just pushed a human out. Absolutely. Like, they give a you, of support. <laughs> oh yeah. They give you six weeks. The mother, they give six weeks. I think it might, might've actually gone up. I'd have to ask. And so if you have a C-section, you actually get more. I want to say like you eight weeks because the trauma is so, you know, which is understandable. But, um, so that night, you know, my in-laws were just getting into town because we were in Gulfport, Mississippi at the time. And my in-laws had just got into town and I, I'd taken a melatonin because I was like, I'm trying to go to sleep. I'm trying to get as much sleep as I can because these next couple of days are about to be wild. And I took a melatonin, I laid down and Zaina said, hey, I'm gonna go get my parents from the gate. She got back, got in the bed and she laid there for maybe 10, 15 minutes. I remember her saying, hey, I think my water just broke. Now she had said that maybe three, four times throughout the pregnancy. And it's gotten to the point where I was like, there's no way your water just broke. You're going to be induced tomorrow morning. And she stood up and I just heard sploosh. Oh my God. I was like, well, that was it. And you know, that started our uh, process. So we got her to the hospital and it was like maybe 20 minutes after we got there, she was, I think she was only four centimeters dilated. So they did the epidural and everything. And they're like, Hey, so once this kicks in at about 2:20 AM, we're going to come get you and she's going to be ready to go. Well, I was sitting in the waiting room with my mother-in-law and this was right after that big, terrible shooting happened in San Bernardino. And I remember that being on the TV. Well, I look at the clock and it's like 2.25. And I'm like, nobody's come to get me yet. I wonder what's going on. So I walk back down the hallway and I talk to the nurses and they're like, I was like, where's my wife? And they're like, oh, are you the dad? And I'm like, yeah. And they're like, oh, they're already in there. They're ready for you. Oh my God. <laughs> and so I'm like, what? So I threw my, you know, my smock and my, you know, my gear on. Yeah. And they walked me into the room and the whole time they're like, look, you don't get queasy, do you? Like, you're not going to pass out. And I'm like, no, I want to, like, I'm mad because I'm thinking. Was she having a C-section? She was having a C-section. Okay. They were like, you don't get queasy, do you? And I'm like, no, I just, I want to be there and see my daughter being born. Well, because of how she was positioned in the room, they walked me in the front and they had all of my wife's insides out on the table. And I just remember seeing it and it didn't make me queasy. That type of stuff doesn't bother me. But I was just like, wow, that's, that's really strange. And I walked in the room 
and they took me around to where her head was and she was like, this is weird. I can feel them like doing stuff. And I was like, I'm sure you feel something. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that, that's insane to me. Oh, it was, it was one of the craziest things. And the doctor who was up by where her head was, was like, he was holding me by my shoulders. Like, you're not going to pass out. Are you, you're not going to pass out. And I'm like, no, leave me alone. And it was maybe 90 seconds. And there she was. The doctor, it is so weird too, because his arm was like that deep in her stomach. Like I thought I was being punked or something because it looked like something you see in one of those TV shows where like he was reaching down into the table and they pulled her up and, you know, face first and I saw her and I started crying and they took her over to the table and cleaned her off. And, um, they were like, do you want to walk her to the nursery? And I was like, I can do that. <laughs> so they handed her to me. And this is like how you're saying, like how, you know, she was so little. Mm -hmm. Like Lily wasn't a preemie. She was nine pounds and five ounces, but still, I just, I felt like I was going to break her. Oh my freaking goodness. Oh yeah. She was a big one. And, um, but when they handed her to me, you know, I'm walking the length of the hallway and that was the most careful I had ever walked in my life <laughs> because I'm, I'm holding her and she's moving, you know, she's not crying, but she's like, you know, doing like mm -hmm. this. And I'm just like, as careful as I can be walking <laughs> in the hallway. And we took her into the nursery and, you know, that's pretty much it. I know that was a long story, but when you oh, talk yeah, about, no, I love it. I love, I, I love that. I can't I imagine. So how, how exactly, how much did Opie weigh when she was born? Five pounds. Exactly. Wow. And see, at the, it's funny that you mentioned melatonin because my mom actually took melatonin the night that Opie was born. And, uh, like all, she said she almost didn't answer the phone and <laughs> it's so funny to me because I, I remember uh, I had when I gave birth I didn't have any visitors before during or after that was just my personal choice so it was just my mom and Zach and I remember looking up and thinking you look so weird like scared and like just like kind of, like I thought she was just like amazed at you know what was happening and later I found out that she was just melatonin high like didn't not want melatonin it's a lot <laughs> yeah. it was a lot but um she was five pounds when she was born she I went into labor at 34 30 yeah 34 weeks is when I went into labor um on Christmas Eve when I got to the hospital I was having contractions two minutes apart uh they stopped that <laughs> I had to get a catheter. Mm. Let me tell you something. Getting a catheter hurts worse than childbirth. And that's like straight up. I've never in my life felt that kind of, and I, I mean, I know that like your body goes into survival mode when you're giving birth and things are a little easier because your body's doing some work, but that catheter, I, I remember thinking if, 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 I can't get through this. Like, how am I going to, how am I going to? Yeah. How are you going to give birth? Yeah. Cause everybody will say like, that's like a 
pretty much universal thing. Everybody will tell you that's the worst pain you can experience is childbirth. Yeah, and I do believe, I think it, I did a lot of research and I found out that the pain stems from fear. Fear causes tension, tension causes pain. So that's why I say knowledge is power. The more you know, the less you fear because things are happening to your body and you're not thinking, oh my God, I'm dying, I'm dying. Because you know, um, I did yoga through my whole whole pregnancy and I went to the chiropractor once a week just to make sure my hips wouldn't lock up. But I still felt like both of my legs broke. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, it, it's, I, was, I think I pushed for an hour and I had a midwife and she was very stoic, very like, this is this and that, that is that, there's no BS here. Um, and she knew that I wanted natural. She knew I had gone through all this stuff to prepare for it. And when my water broke, I was so unprepared for the way that it felt that I immediately just like went in shock immediately. And then when I heard the nurse say I was nine centimeters, I was like, like, oh, okay. So there's no time to prep my mental. This is just happening. This is happening. Like to the point where when they were moving me, I had to stop them because I was like, ah, ah, ah. like it's just about to come out of me. I can feel these. I can feel these. Um, and they were telling me not to push, which is crazy. Just crazy. Like, yeah, I'm not going to push. I'm going to stop myself from pushing a baby out that's coming out anyway. Right. But, um, Anyway, it was crazy. Uh, when we got into the room, my midwife hadn't gotten there yet. And I remember when I saw this male doctor, uh, the first thing I said was, please don't cut me. <laughs> please don't cut me. You know, he didn't know any, anything, any of my preferences. I had a, a whole birth plan that went out the window that I had to revise and this and that and the other. And when I, my midwife finally came in there, I was yelling. It literally sounded like a horror movie I can remember it vividly and she just looked at me and she said look if you open your mouth I need it to just be a push because yelling doesn't help you and at that point I was like you know what you're right I remember reading about that yeah. and that was it just kept pushing after that and she said do you do you want to see it no 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 I'm not I'm not the type that's like yeah I don't get queasy I will I will get queasy I don't like if, if my, if I cut myself, like I'm really weird about that. I can see it on other people, but not me. And even my mom was so shocked that I gave birth unmedicated because I'm, if I'm in pain, like I'm, I'm just not the same person. I can't process things. Like if, if I stub my toe, I'm, I'm, I'm down for the count for the day. Like that's it. Um, so that, that, that moment of just giving birth unmedicated has really helped me in my postpartum depression when I feel weak, you know, mentally or physically, I'm like, you did something. You really did. Don't discount yourself for that. Yeah. <laughs> it's hard. I know but that. she was, she was a, she didn't have to go to the NICU, which was a, a huge thing. Um, I didn't want them to take her at all. So when I found out that they did have to do, I don't, I don't know what it was that they do when they, when the baby's first born, they go to the nursery for like, I don't know, the baby stuff. I didn't know that was going to happen. I thought I was going to have a choice in that. So that was like the worst moment of being in the hospital altogether. I didn't know that they were going to have to take her, but everything worked out best that it could birth wise. <laughs> That's good. She's a healthy thing too. 
every time we see y'all's videos on Instagram, it's just like, like nobody wants to say like, oh, that's the cutest baby I've ever seen, especially if you're a parent, because you always <laughs> feel like your baby is the cutest one you've ever seen. But y'all definitely, Opie gives us a run for our money. <laughs> like every video that you post, we like, my wife will be like, look at how sweet. And I'm like, I know, like, because it makes you remember like when your little one was that little, you know? Like I remember holding Lily like this I'm, and making her smile and laugh and stuff like that. Does seeing, does seeing my videos and posts, does that make you like ready for another? Or are you like, oh, oh. That, that's cute, <laughs> but I'm glad that's over. <laughs> um, so pretty much the consensus right now is that we just like our tripod, right? right. We just like having the one. Cause it's, <laughs> it's, it's hard for me to imagine loving another human being as much as I love Lily. Mm -hmm. Like, yes, of course my wife and then, you know, Lily, those are my, you know, two number ones, but the, love that you have for your spouse is different than the love you have for your child. I think everybody would admit that. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, at Zaina originally she was like, I want at least two or three, but lately she's like, Oh, I'm good with the one. So as of yeah. right now, we're, we're good with just having one. I feel that 100%. When I was pregnant, I told everybody, Oh, I'm going to have six kids at least at least six. As soon as I gave birth, I was like, I can't believe that people give birth and then lay in the hospital bed and think, oh my gosh, I can't wait for my next one. I can't even wrap my head around that. And I'm sure it's different for people who don't suffer with postpartum depression because that is just a real dark mental place. But I do, I have friends that have given birth around the same time as me and they're like, yeah, I think I'm, and I'm like, ah, kudos. Yeah. You're strong for that because. Yeah, if, that, if that's, I mean, it's all personal preference. Like if you want more kids by all means, but I just, I like having the one, you know? And I, and I, I'm, I'm like a leave it up to God type of person. You know, I'm, if it happens, it happens, but I do also pray that it doesn't happen quite yeah. often. So <laughs> that's where I stand with that. But, um, I think that it, when, when you give birth, it takes a while for your hormones to balance out so i'm just like you know what i say this now but in a year and a half i could be like okay yeah i, I think i want another one you know looking back on these pictures and getting baby fever or whatever because that baby fever hits it's it, it really is yeah. <laughs> it really is and i really didn't have a bad pregnancy until third trimester and unfortunately antepartum depression set in and like I said I'm just I just don't deal with pain and Opie was so low in in my vaginal canal that it, like walking like it was everything was just hard everything was hard and I just remember crying to Zach a few days before I went into labor and telling him like I can't take maternity leave early because I can't afford it but I literally cannot deal with this pain like, I can't even imagine myself going X many more weeks with this pain in my body. It doesn't make sense. But turns out I didn't have to because she was ready to come out. She was yeah. real ready. Yeah. 
brewing. It's so crazy too, because like you get through the different stages. So right now, I always, the way I feel about it personally is the infant stage where you can set them somewhere and they can't move. That was <laughs> one of the easiest for me. Mm -hmm. I, I believe that. Like Zaina didn't like that stage too much because, you know, she was the one doing the breastfeeding and, you know, I would feed mm -hmm. her bottles and stuff like that. And of course change diapers and do whatever I could to help. But, you know, I worked full time and because we had one instance where she choked a little bit on uh, like, it was almost like spit up. She was laying on her back and it scared us both so bad. I was like, look, if you want to, you can keep her in the bed with you. And because I have to get up so early in the morning, I will sleep in the guest room. If you need something, let me know and I will go get it. So we did that pretty much for the first year after she was born, just because I was so yeah. nervous about not hearing her if she started mm -hmm. choking. But um, then you get out of that stage and, you know, that stage is the one where you they're asleep and you have to check and make sure that they're breathing. Make sure they're breathing. <laughs> like, I remember that so vividly because she would just be asleep and look so peaceful and her little chest, you know, it wouldn't even look like it was like rising and falling. So we would just get right <laughs> up on top of her and be like, listening. Be like, okay, she's good. I, I just did that. Mm. I, I will do it because she is and so soundly we can't she's sleeping in her bassinet anymore she go to sleep thinking she might die of SIDS and me you know what I'm saying like roll over and just not be able to because she, she's six months old that's a possibility so um We've been sleeping with her in the bed, and I, I, I love hate it because I'm a selfish sleeper. Like, I, I'm not a cuddler. I am a, so hot-natured, and uh, when we first brought her home, I always said that I wasn't going to sleep with her in the bed because I would be afraid that I wouldn't wake up, you know, if she I, was too close to me or, I don't know, whatever, but ever since she was born, there have been periods of her sleeping in her bassinet and then sometimes in the bed here and there, so... Um, I'm okay with it. I just hate that, like, Zach, he's a, a very cautious sleeper. So, like, for example, last night did not get any sleep because he's, like, every moment <clears throat> making sure that, I, I mean, she woke up one time because I, had, like, turned her over. And I remember he woke up immediately, sat up straight in bed and was, like, looking over to make sure she was still in the middle. And, I mean, it is what it is. But I just hate it because I can't, you know, mentally I can't just be, like, yes, God. I trust that you'll keep my baby alive throughout the night. You know what I mean? That daddy reflex is real. Oh, have you, yeah. Have you noticed anything where he, like, did something that almost seemed, like, superhuman? Like, just like that? Like, it was an instinct? Um, specifically? No. I mean, obviously, I think he's just superhuman in, in general aside from being a father, just the type of person he is, but she's never like accidentally fallen over or like this or that has happened. Now she does choke on her like spit and you know, she's drooly now. Um, and he 
I'm used to it because I'm home with her all day every day and I know that she's just coughing a little bit she's got to get that loogie up you know mm-hmm. but um he's real quick to to just be right there in her face as soon as it happens and I'm just like she's fine but thank you <laughs> he's very very cautious about everything and I'm I'm just way more laid back because I'm I'm just here with her more often yeah I think Lily was probably year and a couple of months old and I remember she was just starting to eat solid foods like we were starting to experiment with like Cheerios and stuff because she was starting to her teeth were starting to come out and I remember one day she was eating Cheerios and it was just me and her downstairs she woke up and I brought her downstairs and we were letting Zaina sleep in and I was giving her some Cheerios and then all of a sudden she started doing that So I just went into panic mode. And before I even knew what I was doing, her mouth was open and I just did like that with my finger and scooped it out of her throat. And she was fine, but I was like, you know. It's so scary, it's so fast, it happens so fast. Yeah, I was like, did I do the right thing? And she was fine and Zaina was like, well, I mean, you're, she taught me all about how to do like the actual, like how to do the Heimlich on a baby and things like that. And um, she was like, I mean, she's fine. So you didn't do the wrong thing. So, <laughs> but there's awesome. been so many times where she was about to fall down the stairs or something after she learned how to walk. And, you know, I've managed to catch her. There's been, there was one morning I was coming down the stairs holding her. She was like two and I tripped and completely spun around like 180 degrees and landed on my back going down the stairs. And we, I mean, I was pretty bruised up, but we were fine. But it was just, it was like an instinct. Like I didn't even have time to think about it. It was so weird. I have such crazy fears about stuff like that. I, I, ugh, I, especially getting her out of the bathtub. I have the worst, worst time with that because she's just so fat and slippery i just Mm -hmm. imagine the worst things happening but i think that just comes with parenthood in general you know well take it from me it does get easier they're they get more durable (laughs) as time goes on more durable yeah like after like even when they start getting to like toddler age you're like you know you're worried about them like playing around other kids and stuff because they're unpredictable you don't know Mm -hmm. you know whose kid is a bad kid whose kid is a good kid and, you know, one of them smacks them just while they're playing, you know, you don't know what to do, but it gets a little bit better. And, you know, eventually they're sitting there having a full blown conversation with you. That's what's really weird. That is really weird. Even when I see videos of you and Lily talking, I'm like, <laughs> Zaina was just pregnant. When did that happen? It's oh, yeah. in their little baby voices. I can't even. I can't even begin to explain the way that my insides crumble when I hear that. It's the cutest thing in the entire world. Oh, it just makes me melt. Yeah. I can't she, imagine that just saying anything. <laughs> she is, I have, it is the weirdest thing because, and Zaina will agree with you on this. She is a DNA copy. Her mentality mm-hmm. of me. <laughs> And I've, I've said it ever since she was three, four days old. I was like, what I'm afraid of is that she's going to act like me, but look like Zaina. 
Because by the, by the time she's 16 years old, I am going to be in trouble. Because she is going to be goofy and outgoing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And she's going to be drop-dead gorgeous. Mm-hmm. So I guess we'll see. I mean, I see a lot of myself in her facial features, especially a lot when she uh, makes different expressions. Mm-hmm. But she's just all about making somebody laugh. That's all she Aww, wants to do. So and I think I think a lot of that is just from me because I, you know, I'm I'm just a big kid myself and I like to, you know, play with her and you know, I'm always trying to talk to her. So I think she did get a lot of that influence from me. But then she'll she'll do something that you could just tell it's genetic and it's like that is Zaina right there. <laughs> like her face when she's asleep, it looks just like Zaina. Oh, it's weird. That is insane. I, uh, Opie, my, you know, my, have you seen my mom, right? She's redheaded, freckles, mm-hmm. pale skin. Mm-hmm. And Opie, right now at the moment, has pale skin and red hair. <laughs> and I think it's the cutest thing. Um, she's got Zach's eyes right now, too. But it's, it, it's almost, like she looks like the baby version of my mom. And it's so crazy to me how, how that works. I know that they change and the hair and the, the eyes change and everything like that. But when I see pictures of like me and Zach holding her, it's almost like we're holding someone else's baby. I know that her face looks like mine, but it's just, it's crazy how they just take on the features of everybody. <laughs> yeah. It's almost like, it's like animal instinct almost, I feel like, because they start to develop like, like it's weird. Like sometimes like the faces you make that you know that only you make, they start to get them too. And you're like, yeah, they learned that from you. They just, they're sponges. They learn everything. Mm-hmm. And I've changed like my personal behavior so much from when I've like, right before she was born to now it's, it's weird. <laughs> That is weird. I, you know, I have this, you know, my eyebrows are my prominent feature on my face. When she is looking at something, she's trying to figure out what it is. And she does this with her eyebrows and she's got these two dips. I'm just like, oh, no, 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 no. I always said when I was pregnant, I, I want her to look and act like Zach because he is just a warm presence. He's just, you know, physically verbally and I just I've always gotten shit for you know my rest, resting bitch face and I, I wouldn't want her to go through that but we'll see we'll see how that goes <laughs> yeah that's that's kind of the issue that we're having now because she uh it's not really an issue but she's so tuned to trying to make everyone laugh that sometimes she does things that's inappropriate to do mm-hmm. around people that aren't mama and daddy. And, uh, but I, I side with her a lot because I, every time she does something like that, it's like it unlocks some deep rooted memory. And it's like, Oh my <laughs> God, I used to do that same thing. Aww. And it's like, I didn't even teach her that, you know, so that, how did she, how does she know what that's about even, you know? So, that is insane. Oh, I can't wait for that. I can't. Yeah, she'll be she'll be five this December. 
Yep. December what? What's her birthday? Uh, December 4th. Oh, okay, early December. I was yep. just wondering if it was near Christmas. <laughs> yep. It's, uh, well, that's, that's kind of the thing that we always have a toss-up with because it's so close to Christmas. The last two years, I've taken her to Disney World on her birthday. And I want to, I want to make that like a family tradition. Like every year on your birthday, I want to take you to, you know, me and Zaina went on our honeymoon there and I love going personally. I love going to Disney. I think it's the best theme park you can go to. <laughs> and we debated about it a lot because the first time we took her, she was turning three and we went to Disney world in Orlando and um, she was scared on a lot of the rides, but mm -hmm. the main thing was just seeing her face light up when she got to meet those princesses. Mm -hmm. The videos that I have in my phone of her being just three years old talking to Cinderella, if I pull it up and watch it right now, I will start crying. Oh, oh gosh. Because it's just the sweetest, most pure thing. And so after that first trip, I was like, this is like, this is like crack to me. Yeah. Because yeah. I just love seeing how happy and excited she gets. And, you know, we kept the tradition alive. We went this past December, we went to Disneyland because we're in California now. And it was our first time any of us going there. We had all been to Disney World multiple times. But Disneyland, this was our first time going up there. And uh, it rained that day but we had a blast and she did a lot better on a lot of the rides. And I was a sobbing mess <sighs> for 90% of the day. <laughs> and Zaina makes so much fun of me because like we had just gotten in the park and I'm walking around like, <laughs> Oh my you know? gosh, you big sap. <laughs> we were just, we were eating breakfast. Like I, I do the works. Like when it comes to her birthday, I shell no expense. So we like, we got everything set up for the trip like a month before we just went for one day because we can drive there in like two hours. Yes. And I was like, you know, we have to do a special meal, that's going to be her birthday meal. Well, the thing about Disneyland is they don't really have that many options for restaurants. And we went to, um, there's this one place, I forget the name of it, but it's like breakfast with characters. Mm -hmm. So, but the thing is they book it months in advance. So I made some phone calls and did all this stuff. And then like two days before I was able to get us a table there. So as soon as we get into the park at 9am when they open, we just go straight to breakfast and literally within 10 minutes, I, you know, my mascara was running. I was sobbing and saying, it's like every picture we have, it's going to look like, you know, somebody died. <laughs> and I was like, I can't help it. It's just so sweet. That is so cute. Yeah. She, I, uh, she I, just, I, I can't imagine that feeling. I mean, I know I'll experience it one day, but I sit here calling you a sap, but hearing it makes me want to cry. <laughs> it's just, it's so sweet. So hopefully, you know, Disneyland was supposed to open 
July 17th here, but I think that's going to get pushed back because they're really rolling everything back here in California. Now I was about to say, they're just as a whole state, they're way more um, restricted than here, I feel. Well, a we lot don't of that. Really have any rules here, so. Well, right. And Zaina's actually in Alabama right now. Oh, really? Yeah, Zaina and Lily are there. Wow. Yeah, they, um, you know, she wanted to go home. This is the longest period of time that she's spent away. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I just told her, I was like, look, if you want to go, go. And, mm -hmm. you know, get out of here for a little while because every, a lot of stuff is locked down and there's so much mm -hmm. restriction on what we can do. So I said, you know what, hey, go out go spend some time with your family. Her parents were, you know, nice enough to buy her the plane tickets. So, nice. and they really weren't that expensive. You know, it was kind of nerve wracking sending them to the airport because you had to wear a mask. But mm -hmm. even as you got in the connecting flight from Texas, they said the mask thing was so relaxed. Mm -hmm. And then when they got to Alabama, it was just a free for all. But um, yet, I mean, the main reason for that is California is a big tourist state. It's yeah. big time on tourism. Like sense. LA is pretty much still in like phase one. They just got to where they started to open restaurants and stuff. And then the protests started mm -hmm. and San Diego. I mean, we have a population of like 1.3 million people, people just here in the city. So it's, Oh, um, I thought Montgomery was bad. <laughs> No, it's, uh, I think the whole, I was talking about this, I think in the same episode with, uh, Maggie Zink that I did, but the entire population of Alabama is only like 4 million. And then Los Angeles is like, I think 15 million people live in Los Angeles. Mm. Yeah. Oh, it's a trip. When you go, it's like, it's huge. Like you're like, is are we still in Los Angeles? And you're like, yeah. I can't even imagine. And it's. I, I mean, I've barely been to places outside of Alabama. I mean, I've lived in other states, but yeah, I feel like Alabama is kind of its own world, its own reality. I mean, you're you're right. It is like that was one of the major takeaways that I've had since joining the military. Cause it's given me an opportunity to meet so many people from different walks of life. And, you know, it really opened my eyes to, you know, how different people are from different areas. Like I've had friends that are from New York. I've had friends that are, you know, were born in China and didn't get their citizenship until they were 16. You know, I've had people that, you know, we're from Florida. My best friend right now, I've been with him since uh, my very first deployment. And we ended up coming out here together because he has a wife and a daughter that's not much older than Lily. We were roommates on our first deployment. So when it came time to pick orders, he was like, I'm going to San Diego. And I saw it pop up on mine. And I was like, you know what, that actually sounds pretty good. So I came to San Diego too. And, um, it just, it really opened my eyes to like how different cultures are. Like when I was in Spain, it was just like so mind boggling how different things were. And like even 
stateside, like here in California, like nobody really even cares about college football here. Oh, that would be amazing. <laughs> so, like, I, I ask people, I'm like, hey, what's the score? And they're like, to, to what game? To what? And I'm like, oh, that's right. Y'all don't, y'all don't care about college football. And that's, that's the only sport I personally care for is college football. I feel that. But, um. I yeah, did just, for a while until my oh, hatred yeah. for Alabama was just so overwhelming that literally everything here is, I just, I just, yeah. I'm over it at this point. I know that I'm not, this just isn't, I'm just not a Southern type of person. And I'm not saying that people from the South are, a certain way but you've lived in Alabama and you've mm -hmm. lived literally we're in Millbrook now you know this Millbrook Wetumpka Montgomery area so you know what I'm talking about it's not uh I mean the crime rate the education the wages everything here is just bottom of the barrel so yeah I'm really happy that y'all were able to get out <laughs> oh yeah whenever it came time for us to because my first duty station was in Gulfport. Like we were only four hours away. Mm -hmm. So it was still a lot different. It was a lot more, um, you know, military friendly, obviously, but it being right next to Biloxi and, you know, an hour away from New Orleans, it was, you know, still like a lot, I say advanced, but that's really the best way to put it from Alabama. And every time I went back to Alabama, I felt like I was stepping into like a time warp or something because it was so different. Yeah, it is. It is really different. And, you know, when I left, when I would leave and go on deployment to Guam for seven months and then come home, it was just so strange to come back. Like it was like, because nothing had changed. Like, mm -hmm. oh, the, well, they built some Dunkin' Donuts. Mm -hmm. and that's it but you see people working at like captain d's and stuff and you're like you're still here mm -hmm. and, I, and i i i had to kind of work through that because i at a, a certain point i felt like i was putting people down and that's the last thing i ever want to do because i was like you know why don't you do more why don't you you know get out and travel and you know see the world go experience these people from other walks of life i like because it helped me grow mm -hmm. as a person, you know? And um, I mean, like even with like political affiliation, like let me just first start off by saying that I have zero care for politics. Like the only time I ever watch anything that's going on politics is because somebody did something funny. But I don't, <laughs> I don't consider myself a Republican or a Democrat or a conservative. Same. If anything, I would say that now I'm a little bit more liberal than I used to be. Yeah. But I, I, I like, I see things from both sides. And I feel like a lot of people lack that. Like Alabama is primarily conservative and you know, people feel a certain way about something. And if you feel differently, you're almost like an outcast. Absolutely. I mean, and, being a vegan here is oh, just, yeah. just one thing, just one, one part of what makes it hard. It's, yeah. It's, they're uh, really set in their ways, but it, to them, it's, it's like a, this uh, kind of like they're honoring something, you know, like 
this is how it is and we love it. And this is, you know, if you don't like it, get out. I feel that I got, I, I support you all the way. And I'm, I'm taking that advice because <laughs> I'm, I just, I'm a very, not that people here aren't open-minded. The majority are not though. And I'm a, it's not progressive here. Things aren't going to change as quickly as they need to. Um, and I, I don't, I just know that I'm not meant to be number one, living somewhere with this much going on because my mental is not equipped to handle that. And also the weather here is disgusting. It's hard to breathe. <laughs> so I just, I mean, that alone, I'm, I, I can't, they say if you're, if your child's fussy, bathe them or take them outside and, and, you know, one of those will work. Well, I can't bathe my child every day because I can't take her out into the world because no one in Alabama thinks the coronavirus is real. So everyone yeah. here is just walking around freely. Um, so I can't bathe her every day. And if I take her outside, she can't breathe. I mean, yeah. It's so humid here. It, oh, I don't know. It's just, I love seeing your posts because, I mean, we've been friends for almost 10 years, like almost 10 years now. And I always love watching someone get out of here. It's a lot of inspiration. And I see that y'all are so much happier. I love that. Yeah. I mean, when we got here, it was like, right before I left Gulfport, I was so excited about coming out here because I did a road trip with my buddy who's also out here back in April of last year. We drove cross country to get here in his Mustang. It took us like four days. And the farthest I had ever gone west outside of flying over it on my way to Guam was Texas. So going through the west side of Texas and going into New Mexico and Arizona, that is some of the most beautiful country you will ever see. It's, it's mind blowing how open it is. You're like, this is still America because it's just, it's nothing for 10 hours. Like you're lucky if you come across a gas station Jeez. because it's just desert. And mm -hmm. then you look and you see, you know, the border and you're like, golly, that's Mexico right there. <laughs> so when I got out here, you know, in San Diego, it was just like, I felt like I was in a movie cause we were only here for a week. And I was like, I feel like I'm in a movie right now. Like all of this stuff that I'd seen in these movies and stuff like that, you're walking around in it and the weather is perfect and beautiful. And I mean, marijuana is legal here and it's not even taboo. Like, I uh, see, I can't even, I, it, all of the things that you just mentioned, I can't even imagine. I can't wrap my head around that. Yeah. I, like here when I walk, like when I go to do spots at the comedy uh, clubs in downtown, I ride a ferry because we actually live on an island called Coronado. Um, and it's connected by a land bridge uh, to the mainland of San Diego. So whenever I want to go do, you know, spots at the comedy clubs, I ride the ferry from the island over to the mainland and it puts you right in the middle of downtown. Wow. And it's just, it's wild because like when you walk through it, that's like the, the nightlife area of San Diego. And it just, the whole block just smells of weed. 
see, you say that and like immediately I'm thinking about, for example, yesterday I go to the gas station and I immediately smelled weed as if someone inside the gas station was smoking a joint. And like my immediate thought was like, I, I'm nervous. I'm nervous for no reason. Like it, I'm not smoking it, but it makes me nervous because of, I guess, just how people are here. And I mean, uh, everyone here is, you know, in support of marijuana legalization and, and they, they don't hide that, you know, oh, yeah. <laughs> we're right outside Montgomery, but it's just, I, I, like, I know Alabama, if they ever change would be the last state to yeah. make a change. And that's to me is sad. Cause you know, I, I think marijuana is medicine and yeah. um, it's really just, like a, it's like a cruel prank because I, I, talked my entire like teenage years about I'm going to move to California and I'm going to be live free and weed is going to be legal and I can do whatever the hell I want to. And then I move out here and I, I cannot partake. You can't even, yeah, you can't <laughs> even do it. That is a cruel joke and very ironic. <laughs> it is. It is. And I mean, it was, it was difficult when I first got here. I'm not going to lie to you just because everybody's doing it, you know? Yeah. And yeah. It's just like, you know, Zaina is under no government contract, so she can mm -hmm. do as she pleases. And she's still a law-abiding citizen, so she can do whatever she wants to do. And I support that 100%. And at first, you know, you're just sitting there like, man, you really do get to enjoy yourself. <laughs> but after a while, it just, you know, it goes away. You just get used to it. And then... You know, now I, I just, I wouldn't do anything to jeopardize my family's well-being. Yeah, and that's, you've worked that's, really hard to. That's what would happen. Like it's a mandatory expulsion from the military. Mm -hmm. It's a, they have a zero tolerance policy. So if you pop on one urinalysis test, that's it. You're done. Yeah. And they've gotten a lot of people that way, but they ain't going to get me. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, it's just, it's a different world and it everything was going great. Like when I first got out here, the main thing that was so nerve wracking was just getting used to the traffic because it's like driving in Atlanta. Uh, yeah. It's like, you know, when you go to Atlanta and you're all of a sudden you're on a road and there's six lanes of traffic and everybody's going yeah. 60, 70 miles per hour. Mm -hmm. that is tough to get used to when you're used to just driving on regular slow roads mm -hmm. in Wetumpka or even in Gulfport, <laughs> Mississippi. And um, I've gotten more used to it. It still makes me nervous. Like I still, like when I drive, I, you know, try to keep my hands right here and, you know, I keep the music turned down and everybody's like, you drive like an old person. And I'm like, well, I'd rather be an old person driving than a young person in a car accident. So, mm -hmm. but I've gotten used to that. And, you know, immediately when I got out here, I took a comedy class that because I wanted to network with people because I didn't know anyone. And I took a class for six weeks and I met so many people that way. And, you know, I just, I was like, you know, I'm here now. I can, this is where you can develop as a comedian. And I started going to open mics pretty much at 
at the minimum once a week, you know, cause trying to form that around my schedule and whatnot. And, you know, everything was going great. And then, you know, new year's came, it was, you know, it was 2020 and everybody, I was like, this is going to be it. This is going to be a year where I, you know, grow a lot because in recent years, I was all about, oh, I'm just going to be a famous comedian. I'm, I can't wait to get famous. And as I've gotten older and started to learn more about the craft, it's been more, I just want to improve. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And um, it was, you know, January, I think I did like 10 spots during that month, which is a big boost. Uh, from what I was doing in Mississippi, Mississippi, I'd be lucky to get on stage once every three months. So to do 10 spots in a month, it was, you know, almost unheard of. And then in February, I, uh, I did like two sold out shows. They weren't there just to see me. They were, you know, there to see a plethora of comedians. Mm-hmm. But then I did that talent show and that's where I posted that picture doing that theater. Mm-hmm. And that was, that was the biggest crowd I'd ever done. So to do that in February, I was like, the only where place I can go from here is up. Mm-hmm. And the last time I got on stage was February 27th of this year. And then I was like, you know what? I'm starting to get a little bit stressed out because I'm doing this so much and I'm working full time. I don't feel like I'm spending enough time at home with my family. So I'm just going to take a little break. I'm going to take a little breather. And then two weeks later, it was complete shutdown of everything. Yeah. Coronavirus said, Oh, you need a break. I got you. Yep. (laughs) And so I was like, at first I was like, you know what, this is good, you know, because with everything that was happening with work, where they were, you know, going to where we were on different shifts and things like that. I was like, you know what, this, this is my time. Like I can really just concentrate on doing the hardest part of this and that's writing my material. Mm -hmm. And then the first month went by and I didn't have anything new. And then the second month went by and I didn't have anything new. And you know, that's when the protest started and that's, really nerve wracking because I mean, this is a big city and there were a couple of nights where it, it turned into a riot here and it was scary. We watched, it was, you know, for the most part it was peaceful protests, but there was one night in particular where somebody was um, doing a Facebook live stream and we we sat and watched that for about three hours because everyone was talking about we're going to go over across the bridge to Coronado because Coronado is predominantly uh, conservative white people, mm-hmm. kind of like Alabama, and they were basically a lot of hateful things were being said across to each other through the groups. So we were pretty nervous and it just, it got to where it was just so nerve wracking with everything. And then, you know, the workload sped up and, uh, you know, that's when I kind of felt like Zaina and I, we started, you know, really talking about like, like, Hey, are, are you, 
okay. You know, you start hearing that happening a lot more. A lot of people asking like, Hey, are you doing okay? Like people checking in on you because I mean, just the state of the entire world right now is so beyond anything I would have ever imagined that it would have been like from everything going on with the coronavirus to, you know, what's happening with civil rights and, you know, the black lives matter movement and everything. It's just, it's a lot to, kind of grasp onto and to try and crack jokes during a time like that. It's, it's difficult to come up with, Mm -hmm. you know, things that are funny. And so, you know, that was one of the reasons I reached out to you was because I see that you're so vocal about, you know, managing and maintaining your own personal. I'm sorry. It's okay. But you, you're so open about, you know, being real with yourself about your mental health and the state that you're in. And, uh, you know, I'm constantly, I see stuff that you post on Instagram and I'm like, you know what, that makes a lot of sense. And I've really started paying attention to it because there's been a couple of times where I felt like I was in a really dark spot where I was like, you know, I shouldn't feel this way. And then I started paying attention to some of the things you were doing. Like, obviously you're a vegan, you live a very clean lifestyle. And I was like, you know, maybe I should implement a little bit more fruits and veggies into my lifestyle. Like I'm not a vegan, but I've gotten to where instead of like eggs and sausage and a traditional Southern breakfast, I just have a smoothie. That's awesome. Yeah. I just literally like we have Zaina got this really nice blender for Christmas and I use it more than she does. And it's, you know, sometimes I just chop up a banana, throw some spinach in there and some milk and spin it up. And I mean, like today, that's the only thing I've had to eat all day and I feel great. And that's awesome. That makes me so happy. Things like getting more exercise and things like that. Like, I, I think I'm starting to notice it more as I'm getting older. You really have to like, even, and I know some people will say like, well, you're only 26. Well, yeah, but I'm closer to 30 than I am to 20. So Mm -hmm. I feel like that goes hand in hand. I guess that's what I'm trying to say is like your mental health is directly reflected off of your physical health to an extent. Oh, absolutely. I mean, 90% of your serotonin is produced in your gut, in your gut. So um, now with that being said, I can say that I was really hopeful that my lifestyle would help me in the mental aspect of giving birth. And, you know, it, it, at a certain point, I mean, if you got a chemical imbalance, you got a chemical imbalance. That's just, that's how it is. I mean, you just, you need help. You can't do anything about it. Um, I'm at a point now where I'm, I'm stable enough to re- refuse medication at this time because I know that I'm not at that point um but I am very vocal about my mental health because I don't know really anyone personally that is and back in 2016-17 when I hit my like first real low rut of depression I was open about it then too, because I, I'm not one to put on a front for social media. I've never been like, uh, you know, it's, it's hard because 
I want to be this positive, uplifting, you know, uh, empowering person, but I'm human. And I have to make sure that I'm not putting on a front for people who actually need to see some realness because their whole timeline is just flooded with, you know, Photoshop and yep. fake this and fake that. And the it best. really... People only post, or a lot of people only post the best versions of themselves. I'm guilty oh, of this as well. Absolutely. Where, you know, uh, that's why lately I really haven't posted a whole lot just because mm -hmm. I've, I, it's almost like I don't feel like I have anything really to say or to talk about. I, I understand that. That's actually one of the reasons why I deactivated my Facebook because um, <clears throat> for... The past two years I have been just on cloud nine mentally I've been so happy just strong in every aspect I've been able to be there for everyone and do everything for whoever needs it and now I'm at a point where I don't know if you saw my post about self-isolation um, I have voluntarily isolated myself from pretty much everyone because it's it's really draining uh, before I was checking in on at least five people a day just to make sure they were okay. And um, I'm at a point now where I realize that that's not helping me mentally like it was before because I'm, I'm real low. It's not genuine because I, sometimes I can't care about how your day was. I just can't because mine was so messed up or whatever the case, you know? And I really wanted to just make a post just so people know, like, it's, it is okay. It's okay to delete this, to not do that, to not respond. I mean, it took, I, I don't know when you messaged me. I don't even know how long it took me to respond because I don't even check my messages. I've deleted my Facebook messenger app, my Facebook, like I don't text back immediately unless I'm in the, the mental, like the mindset of being able to hold a conversation and before I was not like that. I was just real open. And, you know, I posted videos every single morning on Instagram, every single morning. I got to work, sat in my car, posted a video to try to uplift people and um, really hit me hard after having Opie and realizing like you, that I'm not that person anymore. It's crazy. I mean, you're a father, you know this, when you have a, a child, you're like the whole makeup of who you are changes your perspective, the way you think. I mean, it's just, it's crazy. I didn't realize that <laughs> I knew I was going to change after having a child, obviously, but I literally feel like a different person, uh, like a whole new, it's just, I, I don't know. It's hard to explain. Uh, just not who I was before. And I have this like guilt because I'm thinking, uh, you know, I, I did this and that for so long for so many people. And now I'm not checking in on so-and-so and so-and-so and this and that, but like, they're not either, you know, yep. there comes a point where you got to stop making things hard on yourself for people who don't do the same. You know what I mean? Right. It's been something really hard to grasp, especially now with, Oh my gosh, the coronavirus is, uh, it's been really hard, especially because my mom got it uh, when I think Ovi was three or four months old. That was really hard for me because I 
didn't have my mother to help me when I needed it, you know? And I just, I feel like not only going through childbirth, everything before having her and now everything after is just for a really long time. I was like, wow, this really sucks. This really sucks. I really feel sorry for myself, but now I get it. And I think a lot of us needed this. And I, I want people to know that like, no, I'm not, I'm not that positive poly person anymore Yeah. <laughs> because I can't be right now. Maybe I will be again one day, but this is how it is. And that's just how it's going to be. <laughs> yeah. I'm right there with you too. Like on the Facebook deactivation. And I know I say that cause my, my Facebook is still active, but I want to get rid of it so bad. Zaina deactivated hers because just like you, she was like, the only thing that's on here is negativity and it makes me depressed. Mm -hmm. So now she wants me to keep mine so that she can look at like Facebook yard sale posts. Mm -hmm. That's actually why I just activated mine <laughs> so I could post about my yard sale. And I'm, I let her do it, but I will keep it deleted off of my phone. And mm -hmm. the only times I put it back on there is whenever she wants to look at like Facebook yard sale or I mean a lot of like the comedy scene is done through Facebook a lot of like posts about like hey we're doing a show here tomorrow night you know I need three people that can do this much time and stuff a lot of that comes from Facebook mm -hmm. and it helps network with a lot of people however you just get stuck in like a like a hole I call it the Facebook hole where you just start doing like this mm -hmm. and then you watch one video and then immediately another video pops up and starts playing. And then before you know it, three hours have passed mm -hmm. and your back and your neck hurt because you've been in the same position for three hours looking at Facebook. And, you know, I started noticing, it was probably about a year ago. I really started noticing like what, what's the one variable in my life that I feel like is making me depressed? And then I was like, you know what? I don't feel too great after staring at social media for too long. Mm -hmm. So I started researching it. I started, you know, watching YouTube videos about, you know, people that have that similar problem. And it's actually a really big problem right now. Our generation is, you know, was really the first generation to learn about social media. Like our age group is the one where we got social media and we started using it to where we really use it more than we interact with each other face to face. Mm -hmm. And how I think a lot of that ties directly into mental health because whenever you like, like with Instagram, whenever you get a lot of likes on a picture, you get a little bit excited and it releases, yeah, weird, it, re right? it releases dopamine in your brain. So you become See, that, addicted I'm, to it like, mm -hmm. like a drug. I'm really glad you brought that up. Cause it, I, I'm, I'm, I did not notice that until recently. Like I, I got on my Instagram to check to see how many likes I had on something. And I was like, I just felt you like I felt gross because I, I, I genuinely not to sound crude, but I don't care. Like, I don't care how many people like what I post. I don't care what they have to think of, say about it or what they think about it. But it's like, 
I'm so just accustomed to that mindset because I, I have for a very long time, I have cared. I've cared a lot. And I just recently got to a point where I'm like, we, there's so many things that are more important than what's on Facebook and Instagram. I mean, I, I can't believe for so long I was so invested in like everyone else, just what they thought. And I mean, the past two years I have censored myself because I don't want anyone to go to my Facebook page and see that I cuss or make dark humor jokes or, you know, I'm this or that, but you know, that's me. That's who I am. <laughs> and yeah. I, the whole time that I was, you know, positive and uplifting, I still had my days that I was honest about, but I never, for two years, I did not have a bad day, like a hundred percent confidently did not have a bad day because I was like, you know, everyone is okay with me. Everyone's fine. I'm not hurting anyone's feelings. I'm, I'm doing good. Everything's cool. Now I just really don't care. I mean, I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings intentionally, obviously, but if my opinion about something upsets you, it's not going to upset me like it would before. And uh, I just recently downloaded TikTok, for example, because yeah. I delete my Facebook and I love, hate that app. There's some things on there that I don't like about it, but I do love that the algorithm matches what you like, what you heart on there. It, mm -hmm. it matches you. So you're not getting a bunch of negative, stupid, ignorant, whatever, unless that's what you want. And so TikTok has been like my outlet because I get on there and I follow accounts about mental health, uh, marriage therapy uh, pages, child development, like things like that. Whereas before I would just get on Instagram or Facebook and just scroll all day mm -hmm. no, for no reason. Yep. And it, and it learns like from what you interact with, like mm -hmm. there was a point in time where I would go on Facebook looking to argue with people. Like somebody would post something and I would immediately like try and think of the opposite on their stance. And I would spend two or three hours arguing with people on stuff, stuff that I didn't even necessarily think was that big of a deal. Mm -hmm. And then I realized that's so negative of me to do that to the point to where now I'll see something and it will be the most hateful, racist, absolutely just terrible thing to post. And I'll pull up the comment thing and I'm about to type something and I'm like, you know what? This person is not going to change their mind. No. Why would I even waste my time talking to them on this and it's i mean it's messed up friendships like it's to the point now where if you post something so blatantly ignorant i'll just block that person i'm like you know what mm -hmm. and i, I kind of feel guilty saying that because you know everybody's entitled to their own opinion but i feel to like extent, to okay? a certain extent an opinion about a certain subject can put you in a a corner that I can't be okay with. Like for me personally, if you are the type of person that's like, 
oh, I don't agree with um, gay people, but you know, uh, it, it is what it is. I can't, uh, yeah. I can't be in that um, corner with you. I can be like, oh yeah, cool. I support that decision for you. But like, no, I, I, that's not me. Um, which is, I bring up gay people cause we're in Alabama and that's a lot of like where a friendship will end here because people are just so, so open about Bible thumping and, uh, I don't know. That's another reason why I can't wait to get out of here. Cause I'm just not meant to be in the Bible belt. Yeah. A lot of people like being in California, like it's not news to anybody that this is an extremely liberal state. Mm -hmm. And before I moved out here, you know, I thought I would see a lot more gay people than I have since I've been here. And it's, you can't even tell. I think there's maybe been two instances in the almost year that I've lived here where I've looked and seen two men walking down the street holding hands. But if you look on what you see on Facebook, mm -hmm. you know, you see pride parades, mm -hmm. you see, you know, people screaming at people at the courthouse because they are, you know, not, a, not allowed to get married. And I mean, that's changed obviously, but it just, Facebook painted a picture that made me think, you know, this was going to be a lot different than what I was used to. Like, even with like marijuana legalization, you know, you think when you get out here, it's just going to be like, everybody's going to be Rastafarian and everybody's going to be high. And then once you get here and you realize it's not taboo, mm -hmm. it's just normal. And it's, it's so strange. Like my in-laws came out here a couple of months back. And one of the first things my father-in-law said is, is that a, is that a Trump flag? I'm like, yeah. And he was like, I didn't think I'd see that out here. And I'm like, well, this is a very military heavy town. And, you know, there's conservative people in the military, you know, there's both sides. I mean, but it's just not what you are thinking it is. I don't know. It's the main thing that I guess Alabama always bothered me is I didn't feel like there was a lot of growth. A lot of people want things to stay the same. Yeah. And the problem is, is that we're in 2020 and it's almost like, I feel like Alabama is in the early nineties still. I feel like they're in the fifties. Um, I mean, even I, then, yeah. Honest, if you're not, if you're not a white male here, then it's hard. And I don't like that. And I mean, I even tell Zach, I am the worst about asking him to make a phone call or go to a certain place because I know it's easier for him. And if something were to go happen, he has less of a chance of something bad happening to him which is horrible that we live in that. And like my immediate instinct is I need to stay here to stay safe. I mean, just two, Oh no, two, three, four, I don't know. Months ago, Opie was basically just born and he calls me walking out of uh, Walmart, letting me know that there was a shooting and he was having to be escorted to the car. 
I can't live like that. I'm not, I'm not okay with that. And people here are not focused on change like at all. Um, like you said, everyone just kind of wants it to stay the same. We have with, of course, you know, the black lives matter movement, we have these, um, protests of course and people are supporting this and supporting that but if i'm being completely honest with you i don't see things changing here i don't i love to see people trying but money and power have a lot to do with the problems here and it's really sad it's really sad i agree yeah i think a lot of it stems from a lot of the people that are in the, the political realm are too old to be there. I 100%, I just said the other day, I, can't, I hope that by the time Opie is my age, white men, old white men will not have all the power. That, that is my wish for her future because I genuinely, I genuinely believe that's our problem in a lot of places. Um, not just here, but I would love to see things change. I just, I think that being in the Bible belt, they use that as a reason to not change or they'll say things like, Oh, well, it's always been this way, you know? Uh, 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 yeah, that's the problem. <laughs> like, that's what we're saying. Um, another thing people say is, well, there's bad people everywhere. Mm, no, Martha, I know that, but there's also not sex trafficking, rape, murder, kidnapping right outside my front door everywhere. I mean, literally, literally anywhere I go here, there's a risk for any of that. I mean, we're four steps outside of Montgomery, the murder capital of Alabama in general, and, and people take it so lightly. I don't mean to interrupt you. Don't yeah. get me wrong. There's a lot of that here as well. Absolutely. I believe that it's everywhere. I yeah. just don't think that people realize. I think that a lot of people here downplay it because it doesn't affect them. And exactly. that's a really, really big problem. And for you to sit here and be like, well, that it is what it is. I mean, you can go somewhere else, but there's going to be crime. I know. And I'm not ignorant to that. I've, the problem is though, for example, I've lived in Ohio, like North of the North. So I'm not just, talking out of my ass here I've, I've witnessed I know the difference and I'm a very like spiritual person and I know that energy travels misery loves company and if you're not going to make an effort to not rub off your misery on someone it's gonna it's gonna travel and everyone's gonna feel it and I think that's a big problem here and all over of course the country but there's a lot of hatred here. A lot. A yeah. lot. Yeah. It's, I agree. I, I don't know why it, it I guess because I was mentally okay for so long. And now that I'm kind of in a rut, I'm starting to notice things differently and, you know, process things differently. But it's sad. I mean, I hate it. I hate that it's this way. But, and I've always, I've had, <laughs> I've always had that, like, don't run away from your problems type of mindset, but I am so ready to sprint out of here. I mean, it, it's, it's gotten to a point 
<laughs> I don't know if you can hear Opie. Oh, I do. It's okay. <laughs> um, yeah, it's gotten to a point now where I, you know, when you can feel that something's not right or you're being pulled to do something like with you comedy in military, like you, 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 you knew that that was for you. I know that this is not for me. And earlier this year, I remember telling Zach like, Oh, we can do this and that and this and that to make us, ourselves more comfortable. And I just woke up one day and was like, no, no, cause I'm not going to settle. I'm not going to make myself comfortable here. Why, why would I do that? There's an entire world, let alone the whole country. And I think that a lot of people here settle and I got caught into that, uh, settling mindset and it took childbirth to knock me out of it. <laughs> I'm, I'm telling you, like, I just remember the big turnaround for me was, you know, I was 18 and I was just dead set on, I'm just going to be a famous comedian. And I never thought of like the, real logistics of, okay, how are you going to get there? Mm -hmm. And don't get me wrong. I'm nowhere even close. I'm still barely walking through the door. I'm not even really in the neighborhood yet. And I'm okay with that. Like that was something that took me years to realize was the people that you idolize that are so good are 40, 45 years old. Most of them started before you did. Mm -hmm. So this is a process. It's like I compare comedy to martial arts. Somebody like Dave Chappelle is like the grandmaster guru. And everybody is like, you know, teach me how to be as good as you. And it's just like you're constantly every day just you've seen Kill Bill. Mm -hmm. Okay, you know, like when she's learning from that master and he's like, you're going to just sit here and punch this wood until you can punch through it. It's mm -hmm. kind of like that. And it's, you know, it's, it's a, I've come to grips with the idea that, you know what, I may not be as big as Dave Chappelle. So my goals have changed a little to the point to where, you know, hey, if I just, if I made as much money as I did right now, doing something I enjoy, I would never complain about being at work. So that was a big realization for me. So those, it was about two years after I graduated where I was like, I was miserable. I was working. I mean, you know, I was working at the radio station. I was working at Coach's Corner and then Mellow Mushroom. And eventually it just got to the point where I was like, I don't, I don't want to live like this. Mm -hmm. Like I've got to do something different. And you know, joining the military was my way out, essentially. So, you know, I don't knock it for a lot of people. It's, I feel like it taught me how to be an adult. That's the biggest takeaway that I have from the military. Now, there are a million things that, you know, drive me crazy about it. And I won't go too much into detail about all of that, but that's every job. Mm -hmm. You know, there's things about... You know, I'll talk to my mom and that's one thing she always reminds me is that's every job. Everywhere you, mm -hmm. you go, people are going to act like that. So, you know, I'm just taking it one day at a time. I, I'm so ready for this coronavirus thing to be over with and done just because I just want to get back to a point of normalcy. And 
just being grateful for what we have. I feel like that's going to be the number one thing that a lot of people take away from this is like, don't take anything for granted. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And I really feel like the, the quarantine in general has made people realize that life is, is real short. I mean, real short. And you're sitting here spending all this time on social media, trying to impress people or arguing on Facebook or whatever the case. I mean, I just, or maybe it's just me. Maybe it's just that my eyes have been open recently and I'm like, eh, it's really not that serious. You know, this is not that serious. Like things that would have bothered me before just roll right off me now, because I mean, honestly, if it doesn't affect me, my husband or my daughter, the rest of my family, I'm just, I'm not going to engage in it. Um, I know you said you're not into politics. Um, and I have to be very careful about that also because it, it affects your mental health so easily and without you realizing it. And I, that's one of the reasons why I deleted Facebook because I, I have my own opinion about things and I'm a very, very passionate person. And sometimes it's really hard for me to see something and, and uh, let it go. And what you put in is what you put out. If I'm just absorbing all of this negative negativity, it's coming out other places. I mean, it'll come out on my husband, my friends, things like that. And um, with the quarantine, Zach had to be, when my mom got coronavirus, Zach had to be quarantined for two weeks because he had been in contact with her. And I really feel like with him staying home that, that whole time is when I started kind of coming away from social media because I was like, oh my gosh, wow. Like really and truly my family's happiness is all that matters because life is short. And Sally Sue on Facebook talking about this and that and the other that I don't agree with and I think is nasty and disgusting doesn't really matter because like you said, they're not going to change their opinion. I think that people really need to be more particular about what they're absorbing. I mean, I, I, if I, if I come across your picture and I can tell that you have photoshopped something onto you or off of you, or you've blurred out your cellulite or you've whitened your teeth, I'm deleting you. I'm unfollowing you. I, because I can't see that and be like, oh, okay, yeah, that's photoshopped in a video. I'll see that and be like, oh, man, must be nice. Right. And I don't like that. I, I just have been way more specific about the people I talk to and follow and it's really, really helped me. Yeah. I feel and the same way. Setting boundaries will hurt a lot of feelings. Um, for the past two years when I was doing my Arbon thing, I had so many friendships and relationships because I just didn't want to be like salesy. I want you to know that I care about you. Right. Well, I can't do that right now. And so that's why I haven't been doing Arbon because I refuse to be fake about anything. I cannot maintain 15 conversations a day. That's just not where I'm at right now. I could do it for the past two years, but not anymore. It took a, a lot for me to realize that that's okay. Like you do you, you do what's going to help you and don't care what anyone else thinks because at the end of the day, they're not paying your bills. They're not supporting your dreams. I mean, it, it, it's crazy how we will let someone's negative opinion affect how we think or how we go about something. Um, leaving my job, which was my career, medical coding, 
was a huge, huge, like a, like a guilty, oh, I feel weak. I can't believe I did this. Mostly because my supervisor told me you're way stronger if you come back to work than you would be if you didn't. Um, it, it was a really hard thing for my mental to get over because I've worked from the time I was 15 years old and I have been pressured to believe that if you're not working and being miserable for 10 hours a day, then you're not paying your dues. No, no, I don't believe that. I don't believe that anymore. I don't believe that a desk job is the only way to go. I do believe that you can get paid by your passion. I mean, even just you, you doing comedy, people see that and they're like, yeah, okay, okay. Okay, Joe, that's why you're going to be at your construction job until you're 67 years old. Like, I, I am not that <laughs> type of person. And so I really had to cut a lot of close-minded people out because it'll affect me. Yeah. And don't get me wrong. Like, at the end of the day, I'm 100% transparent. Like, this is how I pay my bills. Like mm -hmm. I'm in the military, this is my job. Mm -hmm. And that comes, you know, before comedy. And mm -hmm. I do whatever I can, you know, even if it's just trying out jokes with my coworkers, you know, like that's something that I had to realize is that, you know, I can use this to my advantage. You know, I, as much as, you know, I might be like, man, I, I don't know why I did this. And cause I'm stuck, like I can't quit my job. It's right. not like being a police officer where you can just, I don't want to be a cop anymore and you quit. Like I signed a contract and the government owns me mm -hmm. until 2024. But I never would have been able to move out to San Diego if it wasn't for the military. I wouldn't have gotten to live in Spain for six months. I wouldn't have gotten to live in Absolutely. Guam for over a year. And, you know, I'm able to, take care of my family doing this. So I listened to a lot of podcasts with comedians and them explaining like, this is what it was like for me. Like one of my favorite people to listen to that kind of talks about the business aspect of comedy is a comedian by the name of Joey Diaz. And he just talks about how he was homeless for so long and he's still like struggling with drug addiction and all of these obstacles, he just said, at the end of the day, my saving grace was comedy. Mm -hmm. And I was able to, you know, I mean, he's a convicted felon. He wouldn't be able to get a job anywhere else for, for kidnapping, no less. Like he'll tell everybody, like I'm a criminal deep down, but he was able to use something that he was gifted with, which was making people laugh. And he's made a very illustrious career for himself that way. He's not the biggest comedian in the world. He's not, he's not Dave Chappelle, but there's only one Dave Chappelle. So I think everybody is kind of in that same thinking of, you know, Hey, you're, you may not be the best. <laughs> yeah. And that's okay. You know, and I feel like a lot of people should apply that to their own personal lives. I just. Absolutely. And it's okay to not be the best. Like you're good you're fine and that your world is not going to crumble. I, um, I mean, I, for the longest time I was always a quitters never win type of person. Now I realize in order to find your passion, you have to try 
multiple things. If you don't like something, that's cool. Stop doing it. And don't let society make you think that you're less than because you tried <sighs> something big right now is rollerblading. People have been rollerblading for so many years and they're like, oh, it's such a trend now. So, so, so like, I just, it, I guess because I'm in, I'm a, just surrounded by people who are, you know, just one way. And if you're not that way, you're on the outs. It really, like I said earlier, kind of put me in that settling mindset. And when you have that turning point and you're like, okay, yeah, this isn't for me. You got out because of the military. And I, I feel like a lot of people here are like, well, I'm, I'm just stuck. I'm stuck. I, I'm always the first one to say you're never stuck and you can always unstuck yourself. There's always a way. You just have to want it bad enough. And I was this close to being that person. I'm stuck. I'm just stuck in this. This I can't do anything about it. And I don't know what flipped the switch inside my brain, but I'm glad it did because I I see now the happiness that comes with just not not caring about what other people think. <laughs> just not caring. Yep. Not being influenced by for example, my mom is a nurse. She's been a nurse since before I was born because she had to be. It was the only way that she could pay her bills. Uh, now, she loves being a nurse, but that is her whole identity now. And she doesn't know anything else. And even from the time I was young, I've always been open with her that I'm, I'm not that person. I won't go to nursing school. I don't, could not be a nurse. That's just not for me. Um, mostly because I'm, uh, I'm a, uh, I say I'm not a people person, but you know what I mean. I'm just mm -hmm. not a, I'm, I'm so like sensitive and empathetic that everything affects me, you know? And, um, which is one of the reasons why I chose a desk job because I knew that I needed to be isolated. Um, now a desk job with 50 other women wasn't maybe the best <laughs> choice, but, um, it's just, it's crazy. It's so crazy how you can be accustomed to think a certain way and then something will pop off and you're like, oh, wait, 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 wait. It, it doesn't have to be this way? You mean to tell me that I don't have to care that only two people liked my post? Or this person said that I'm crazy for um, trying to move or, you know, whatever. I mean, all the shit I got just for being involved with Arbon because it's an MLM. I mean, just... I, I, it's crazy how people are so open about being negative, but so uncomfortable about being positive. Yep. Like it, it just like, it hurts them to be like, you know what you do, you, it, they have to put that opinion in there. I just, ugh, it makes me sick. It's almost like people feel awkward. Like when you're like, when you have a conversation with somebody and they're just so positive you remember that, mm -hmm. you know, like, for example, I'm sure he doesn't listen to this podcast, but if he does, I'm giving you a shout out. You know who Parker Cavanis is? I do not. Okay. He graduated like two years before me. I never really talked to him much. I knew more of him. I was, we had mutual friends, but I didn't really speak to him that much. And I remember I went to Auburn one time. I'd come home on leave and I was there, I went to Sky Bar, and I talked to him, and he was so 
nice. Just like, how, how have you been, man? And it didn't feel like forced or anything like that. It was like he truly felt, you know, like concerned, like, how have you been? And he was like, it was really nice seeing you. And I still remember that to this day. And why more people don't feel that way. Like, that's one of the main things I try to instill in my daughter is be nice to people, be kind to people. That has gotten me farther in the military and in comedy than anything. It's just absolutely being easy to work with. Like, that's my number one asset in the military. It's not knowing anything about my job. It's just being cool to be around at work, yeah. you know? And I, I try to, even though she's very young, I tell her like, look, you can use this to your advantage no matter what you do. If you absolutely, you know what I'm saying? And I feel like to kind of tie it all back together, when we started our conversation talking about kids, I feel like the main thing that pushes me as a comedian is how can I tell my daughter that she can do anything she wants to do if I do not set the example by trying? Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? And Absolutely. I, and no matter what it is, whether you, you know, want to be a doctor, whether you like, everybody has something that they want to do. Mm -hmm. Like that is their drive, their focus. And a lot of it gets just kind of set on the back burner because you have to pay the bills. You have to, you know, abide by society's rules. Mm -hmm. But I feel like a lot of people are negative and or get depressed because they feel like they can't, push towards those things still, even if it's just an inch, there's still ways to push towards that goal. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? I do. I feel like I'm here for sure. People get discouraged because when you're kind, they're, you're, the people you're kind to are not always going to be kind back. And you have to push through that. I mean, <laughs> the cashiers at the gas station down the road I never had any of them be nice to me, but I still go in every single time with a smile on my face and say, Hey, how you doing? Every single cashier I come in contact with, have you had a good day? Because it fuels me like any time that I am, especially now because we wear masks, right? Well, I do. I wear a mask when I go out. Um, so people can't see my smile. You know what I'm saying? So it's really important for me to be verbal. Um, I think that a lot of people around here will try to be positive, And then when they get shit on, they're just like, Oh, whatever. I'm done with it. Then I'm just done. Cause I mean, if, if you're going to treat me like that, I'm going to treat you like that, like a back and forth. And it's really, really hard to push through that negativity when all you're trying to do is be nice. Like I'm, I held the door open for you, man. You're welcome. You know, <laughs> like, Instead of saying, oh, I'm just never going to hold the door open for somebody else any, ever again because, you know, this person was an asshole about it. You do it because it's the right thing to do. It's Absolutely. the right thing to do. Like, it, I don't know. It's hard, but it's so worth it because yeah. I know that, like, money holds a lot of power, but I really genuinely feel like if you're just a good person, you can do and have anything that you want. It is possible. 
there's going to be obstacles, obviously, but a lot less than there would be if you're just a subpar human. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I will now, tell you one thing. Get high up, you know, a uh -huh. lot of bad people can, but again, money and power and race. So it is what it is. I will tell you one thing. When you move, one thing that's going to be weird is how people interact with you. And I'm sure you would, you've already, you know, thought about that. But when I first, like when I first got here to California, I was like, man, some of these people are rude. Mm -hmm. But then I was like, well, maybe this is just how people talk to each other. They're not used to hearing yes, ma'am, or no, ma'am, like things that we really take for granted in the South. When you get out here, you know, people look at you like, mm -hmm. what? you know, and at the end of it all, like when they truly see that you're just trying to be a nice person, 90% of the time they get through it and they're okay. Mm -hmm. you know? A lot of that has to do with that person's insecurities or their own trauma or, you know, their own past experiences, which I have to remind myself of, especially if I get on social media and I see something that I don't like, I have to remember that I, I don't know what this person has been through. You know, I know that one of my <laughs> concerns is if my Southern accent will come off to someone as whatever way, I, you know how people are viewed in Alabama, that we're rednecks, you know, hick town, whatever. And so I worry about that, but why, why do I, why do I work? Why? I shouldn't care. Like, this is just who I am. You know what I'm saying? If, if they hear my voice and they're like, you sound ignorant. That's, that's on you. That's on you, boo. I'm, I'm gonna keep doing me. It's a work in progress to not care what other yeah. people think. I, I just, can't, I, I can't even hear your accent. Like that's, I don't know what you. that is, but <laughs> I, I can't even hear it. Like, I don't know. It's something like, I really only even notice accents from people from like maybe different countries. Like I can tell like, Oh, he's, he's gotta be Irish or something with that accent, yeah. you know, but the American accent, like obviously there's like Boston and New York and stuff like right. that. But a lot of people hear it on me. So when they, when I go up on stage and they, you know, all right, how y'all doing? Mm -hmm. I'll see some people go, Oh, it's a Southern comedian. We're going to hear about biscuits and gravy and dogs biscuits in the yard. <laughs> but when I start talking about, you know, I have a joke where I talk about, you know, one of the first things I had to get used to when I got here to California was, you know, the women out here actually have rights and everybody's just like, <laughs> you know, like, what's he, what's he saying? <laughs> I do remember that. And, uh, and I love that joke, honestly, because, well, I appreciate it. It, it. it, it, uh, hit home. That's part of a bigger, like I did that back in November and I didn't mm -hmm. post it because I talk about this sometimes. It's kind of like my inside secret, but originally when I first started doing stand up, I thought, okay, I'll go do a set and I'll record it and then I'll put that on Facebook and then people will see it, you know, and that's how I'm going to get famous. But it was pretty recently where I was like, if I don't post that anywhere, I can do it again. Mm -hmm. Like, I feel like I almost, I burn something whenever it gets put on social media. Because a lot of comedians, that's the way they do their specials on Netflix. Like, once it comes out on Netflix, everybody's seen it. Mm -hmm. 
being a comedian is a whole lot different than being a musician because if a musician makes a really good song, that's what people want to hear. That's the hits. Yeah, over and over and over again, yeah. When you're a comedian, you got to be coming up with something new. Mm-hmm. They, they want to hear the new stuff. So, like, I've held on to that. Like, that was one of my best performances. I felt so comfortable while I was doing it. And I, I mean, the last time I felt that good on stage from that one particular video you're talking about was when I was 18 years old. In Birmingham? Mm-hmm. I, I remember it because it was the showcase for that class that I had taken. And I was so nervous because that was one of the biggest crowds I'd been in front of since that show when I was 18. And something in me, it was like, it just snapped and I just felt free even for five minutes. And when you know that you've got the crowd following you, that is like pure heroin for your system. Like for Mm -hmm. me, at least like a lot of comedians will agree. Like once they're with you and you can feel that, like there's a point in the actual video when I watch it, I had it like professionally shot and everything like the, the entire class, like we pitched in and got a photographer. So it's shot from multiple angles with the sound and everything. And there's a moment where you can see me kind of like, and I I'm realizing it like, Oh, I'm doing good. (laughs) And then it was just like, boom. And I opened up and, it's just trying to get that feeling back. That's every time I go on stage, that's what I try to do. I try to get that feeling back. So coming up with new material, it's kind of nerve wracking because you don't know how they're going to react to it. There's a lot of times where you go up there and you hear crickets, especially when you're, you know, you're performing somewhere like the comedy store, which you're talking about Titans go up there every night of the week. Like I've seen, I went to the, I've been to the comedy store in LA three times and every time I've been there, I've seen somebody that I've seen on television. I've seen, I saw Joe Rogan do an hour. I got to meet Chris D'Elia, which that's kind of ironic now because he's not in that, he's not doing too hot right now. And, uh, I mean, I've just, you know, I've met all of these insanely talented comedians. And so when you are going up there to perform, it's just like, oh my God. Like I performed at the comedy store here in La Jolla. Robin Williams has performed there. Like his name is on the wall. Jim Carrey has performed there. It's And then when you're standing up there, you feel like you're standing like on a mountain (laughs) down. You're like, I'm up here. And that's one of the things that keeps me going. It's like, I, I made it to the comedy store. You know, I I love that. I grew up in Titus, Alabama and lived in a single wide trailer where our power would get cut off and it would be a hundred degrees inside the house. And in 15 years, I've made it to the comedy store and I'm still at the very bottom. I'm still like just working, trying to get up those steps. Mm -hmm. 
I know I'm talking about myself a lot, but this is, I mean, this no, is what I'm, goes on inside my head. I and feel I, that. I'm, and I feel like every aspect of life you can use in your own personal, you know, pursuit of whatever that is to happiness, you know, like for me, a lot of dealing with my personal mental health and my own physical health, all of that gets channeled into, you know, for one, how I can be a better father and a better husband, you know, because mm -hmm. that's my number one. But then after that, how do I be a better comedian? So to tie everything together, you know, like our conversation about mental health today, that's something that I can use to help me. And I hope it helps other people watching too, that they, Absolutely. they take something from it and they can apply it to their own personal life and whatever pursuit they're on. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I know I rambled. I, I love that you, no, you're fine. I love that you continue to pursue your passion because a lot of people don't. And for me personally, I don't have a passion right now. I'm still trying to figure out what I like and really who I am. And, you know, I, my, my dream, my goal is to get paid for my passion, whatever it may be, like whatever it may be. I want that to pay me because I refuse to settle for a job like I've always done. And, um, you are very inspiring because I've seen it all. I mean, from the very beginning. And I, I know, I know <laughs> the strength that it takes to push through negativity and especially being somewhere like Alabama where it's very prominent and people view things like that as taboo. Like, like I said earlier, people are, are kind of looked down on you if you want to work from home. I mean, example i my goal in life is for us to be a stay-at-home family for zach to find some kind of work where he can stay home obviously that's not doable right now because he's in hbac but i i do believe that we are a home body family and we can help more people at home than we can spending nine hours a day uh doing something that doesn't benefit, you know what I mean? Uh, yeah. I, I, I cried every single day at work because I genuinely felt like if I wasn't there, I could help more people. And now I'm at a point where I'm like, okay, I have all this time on my hands and I don't know what I like to do because I've never had the opportunity. I've never, and, and in the mental state that I'm in, I can't get on social media every day and post these motivational morning videos like I did before. And, like I, for so long, I thought that that's me, you know, I'm just motivational. I'm, I might be a motivational speaker one day, you know, and now I'm to the point where like, I'm thinking, do I like to paint, you know, <laughs> am I good at drawing or, you know, can I help people this way or that way? And seeing you continue to pursue comedy, I'm like, this is possible. People do this, you know, people who are from here in the ruts of, poverty i guess you could say in all aspects um can make it out and they can help people i genuinely believe that comedy in in general is is like medicine i i'm a very i absorb energy and feelings really easily so i have to if i'm if i'm watching something or i'm you know whether it be on tv or tiktok I'm so sensitive. I, I can't, uh, we watched a scary movie the other night and I had bad dreams for three days. 
you know, and <laughs> I, Oh, trust just, me. I am the biggest scaredy cat in the world when it comes to <laughs> scary movies. I watched the haunting of Hill house like two years ago and I still mm-hmm. have trouble yeah. like sleeping in a completely dark room. I and just I'm, watched the invisible man and I am uh, a cat. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm also, like I told you earlier, I'm spiritual. So, like, I, I believe, I don't know if you can see this vanity right here. This is my nanny's uh, vanity. And she's had it for years. I believe that she's connected to it. And so, like, Opie, anytime she's laying down and she she looks up or does this, she does that, and she's like, <laughs> I feel like that's her. And um, I just think that because I'm so into, I say in tune, but what I really mean is that a lot of people don't think that deeply they're like oh it's not a big deal i can watch this and not be affected by it but you are you are affected by it because even if you're not watching something scary and you're watching something like um i don't know an action movie that's centered around negativity for example um when you're done watching that it affects how you process other conversations and situations whether you realize it or not and i've talked about that before i don't even remember when one of my morning videos was like, you, you need to be careful. I always say what you put in is what you put out because it's so important to realize if you're taking in the right things, I guess. I, I don't know what I'm trying to say. The right, everything. We have so much at our fingertips, you know, um, TV, social media, literally everything. And every platform is open. So I don't know. I, I don't think people realize that you can control what, what the people in your life, whether it be social media or real life or the stuff you watch on TV, you know, I just think that if more people were more self-aware of things like that, it would be a little bit easier to be progressive in mental health in general, because it's ignored. I mean, I, I had a mental breakdown at work a couple of years ago and my boss wanted me to go to the hospital so that they could admit me and that felt weird to me but also that's just how people are here you know that that's that's the only option medicine Mm -hmm. go 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 get medicine go admit yourself isolate like I feel like if, if we just look in a little deeper and realize that if we start here, it won't be everywhere else, if that makes sense. Right. Yep. I feel like one of the biggest obstacles that I have to overcome personally is myself. Mm-hmm. I am my own biggest enemy when it comes to procrastination, when it comes yep. to my personal mindset, like, like, and I, I realize it. I know, like, I'm self-sabotaging myself by, you know, like, uh, like the, what's the right way to put this? Like the short-term dopamine release. Like sitting and playing the PlayStation for an hour. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel guilty when I do that because I'm not working on jokes. Mm-hmm. And when I do come up with something new, the whole rest of my week goes better because mm-hmm. I'm like at the end of the, at the back of my mind, it's like, I know that everything else that is affected by that, by, you know, how much time I have off of work or anything really, what even I ate that day, it mm-hmm. paid off a little bit. 
So I'm, I'm completely, you know, in agreement with what you're saying. Like, I feel like more people, you got to focus on you at the end of the day. Like, even if that means, Oh my gosh, everybody is such an asshole around here. Everybody's so rude. Like be the change, be the change that you want to see. I know that that's so cliche, but I, my, my motto is change your mindset, change your life. Because I genuinely believe if your mindset is where it needs to be, no, no outside source can come, can, what am I trying to say? This is probably not the right way to say it, but no outside source can penetrate your journey, like your mindset, unless it's you, you are your worst enemy. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's not society. It's not anybody else. You know, it's not Billy Bob Joe down the road. Um, it's you. It's how you perceive things. It's how you process things. If something is not going to matter in five years, don't spend more than five minutes on it. That's something that I have to tell myself constantly, especially with everything going on. It's, it, I, I, I genuinely believe that in like obese generation, mental health won't be taboo. I don't, I mean, I just recently learned that some jobs allow you a mental health day. Like I didn't, I didn't even know that that was a thing. I didn't even know that other places recognize that. And it's been hidden for so long. I mean, especially with women, because, you know, uh, just dating back to the fifties, like I mentioned earlier, Alabama, just stuck in old times. Um, the older generation, like my, my grandparents' generation, have not fully grasped that mental health is a problem. The reason is because our generation is realizing, like, this is not okay. We need to change this. This is hurting my children. This is hurting my wife. This is hurting me. Like, things need to change, and we're not just kind of going with the flow, and we're realizing that it should is sideways sometimes, and it affects everyone, and, like, I, the, the comment that I saw on Facebook forever ago that stuck with me was, um, someone from that generation saying that, like, something about us being snowflakes or whatever, that word snowflake, that's what resonated with me. Um, and I think that that's so sad that we have put a snowflake label on someone who cries or a, a, a man who <laughs> opens up about his emotions, you know, or is, is vocal about their mental health or whatever. I mean, it took, I posted a picture of me just full on mascara running, crying, because I have a mental health album on my phone. I make videos and pictures of my ups and, and downs because it's something that I can reflect on and be like, oh, okay, I can get through things like this now. I posted that picture on Instagram because I casually mentioned like, oh, postpartum depression, this, postpartum depression, that, but I sugarcoat it because I don't want to make anybody feel uncomfortable. I don't want anybody to be like, oh my goodness, do I need to do this? Do I need to do that? I'm so done with that. I'm so done with it. I'm putting everything out there because there is someone, there's someone suffering like me and they think that they're alone. And I, I, that thought like kills me inside. I just want someone who thinks they're alone to know that they're not. And that's why I'm so open about my mental health. I just hope that 
someone will see it and be like, you know what? Okay, cool. I'm going to do the same thing. I'm going to be open about my mental health too and see if it helps anybody else. And then it's just like a chain reaction. My, my dream job would be to somehow be centered around mental health because it's just prominent, super prominent. I've been messed up my whole life. I was about to say, like, I think that would actually be a really good career path for you. Like if you, cause you're so knowledgeable on the subject and you are so confident talking about it. Like, I don't feel like you, you know, hide behind a mask at all. You were so open with how you talk about things. That was one of the reasons I asked you to talk about this today because I was like, who do I know that I could talk to about mental health? And then you were the first person that popped into my head. I think you would be fantastic at it. And I think you would help a lot of people because like you said, I don't want to live in a world where, you know, my daughter can't be open about how she's feeling about something mm-hmm. because, well, I, I just don't want to make everybody feel awkward. Mm-hmm. You know? It shouldn't be awkward. It shouldn't. It should never be. It should never be. I know that Zach has lost a lot of friendships since we've been together because he is he doesn't care. I mean, if he's upset about something, he's going to tell you, especially now that we've had Opie. I mean, he can stare at her too long and start crying because he's just that sensitive now. And a lot of, in particular, men here in Alabama are like, you know, oh, I never cry. Crying is, crying is for babies. And it's really hard for him to relate to that. And I have to tell him all the time, like, there's a reason why some people are around and some people aren't. And um, I just hope that when Opie is older, she never has to experience someone like making fun of her because she's crying, you know? Yeah. When I was little, my family had family meetings like once a week and it was super open. You'd get everything out that you had to say. If you wanted to cuss, you could cuss. Like everything was open. And I really feel like those memories are what fueled me to be the, how open I am about mental health because we were poor, poor trailer park, poor eating cereal and water out of a Ziploc bag, poor. And, um, I know that there are people out there currently going through that or have gone through that and think that they can't get out of this. Like for example, Alabama, it is possible. Like it is, and it's okay to not be okay, which is another like cliche saying, but it is like, not everyone is happy all the time. Like not everyone is financially stable or mentally stable or whatever the case. And I'm glad that you asked me to talk about it because I'm very, I mean, my Instagram bio literally says mental health advocate because I want everything to be brought to the surface. I hate shoving anything under the rug. I feel like things can be so simple, but we've made it so complicated because, you know, so-and-so's problem is annoying to you. Like, shut up and listen. Shut up and just listen and say, you know what? I'm sorry you're going through that. That really sucks don't chastise them for coming to you with tears in their eyes or make, if I see anything on Facebook or Instagram or whatever, and someone has posted like a vague, I wish I was okay or whatever, whatever, you know how people do. I can't. And if, if I know that they're not, 
BS and about it. I can't in good conscience see that and keep scrolling. I can't do it. I have to reach out to you because I know, I know what it's like. And people do that. They're like nonchalantly like mm, here and there on Facebook, they'll share a meme or something. That's the worst people sharing memes to express how they feel because they literally cannot verbalize it without getting shit on for it because that's just how it is. And I, I know that that will change by the time our children are older because yep. I'll be damned if it don't. <laughs> yep. I feel the same way. We've been on here for about almost two and a half hours and I got one more question I want to ask you uh, before the uh, end of the episode. So you said that Zach, obviously, since having your daughter has become a lot more uh, sensitive and will cry now. Mm -hmm. How hard is it for y'all to get through Pixar movies now? Let me tell you something. <laughs> I am not a movie watcher because for just multiple reasons. I don't even care about getting into them, but she watches Doc McStuffins. Have you ever heard of that? Uh, yep. <laughs> okay. Taylor, it is literally the cutest, most creative, progressive children's like cartoon. I've I cried the other day. <laughs> I cried the other day because I was watching an episode where the teddy bear accidentally got washed with a red shirt and now he's pink and he was so insecure and he was telling the friends like, I'm a different color now. And they were like, we don't care what color you are. We love all colors. And I was like, oh, like, I can't. When I was growing up, it wasn't like that. We did not have, I mean, it's a, a black doctor, like two, two black doctor parents and, and a little black girl. Like I never had TV shows like that growing up. That's how I know it will be different mm -hmm. for them when they get older. And before Opie was born, I think I saw Zach cry three times in the um, six years we had been together. And now it's like not taboo anymore. Anytime, yeah. anytime either one of us cries, really, it's just like, oh, what did she do that was cute? What was it this time? Mm -hmm. You know? Yep. What always gets me, this is my, my kryptonite, is Coco. That end scene. Have you seen Coco? Mm -mm. Okay. It's a Pixar movie. And I'm just going to warn you now, the end scene for parents is going to rip your heart to shreds. It's not, it's not sad. It's just so sweet. Oh my gosh. You know what? You just brought up a memory. That was that movie of the, uh, the, the, the dog. Um, oh my gosh. I can't think of the name of it. There's, it was a two part movie and the, the, the couple has a baby at the end of, the first movie and so the second movie is like the dog like it's a cartoon it's the dog getting used to the baby or whatever and he kind of feels neglected and watching the baby grow up um i will not remember the name of the movie i'm just telling you right now <laughs> if zach was here he could tell you but me and zach cried so hard because when we brought opie home we had to keep our dogs away because she was so so tiny and we kept them away for three months they did not come in our bedroom cried so hard thinking of Opie getting older and walking and like mm -hmm. having a relationship with our dog. And you see now on my post, I mean, she's petting them and like laying with them and things like that. And that really hits me in the chest, you know? <laughs> yeah. Oh, I know what you mean. That the first time I watched Coco, Zaina was like, are you okay? 
And I was like, yeah, I, I, like I was sobbing because the end is just so sad and sweet. And then like I keep tally now like where I'm like, okay, this movie's not going to make me cry. This one is going to make me cry. Yeah. I've watched Coco now probably 10 times and I still at the same part at the end, I will start crying. It's to the point now where if like we watch something new, because I try to expose her to, you know, a more adult movies that aren't just cartoons that I grew up mm -hmm. watching. Like she's a huge Jim Carrey fan. Love that. And uh, you know, she likes, we watched Mrs. Doubtfire the mm -hmm. other day and we're sitting on the couch and it's that scene where, you know, Mrs. Doubtfire has to make dinner really quick. And then the family comes home and she's like, dinner is served. And then uh, Sally Field is like, how lovely. And Lily's sitting next to me on the couch and she goes, oh, that's so sweet. Uh, and I just uh, immediately was like. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I just, Let me ask you a question. Okay. Uh, before we get off here, what about old shows? Like TV shows that you watched before having a child? Are you able to watch them and process them the same? Oh, no. I feel... I feel so different now. And I, I take note of it. Like every time that I do like stuff that even like stuff that I didn't think was sad at all before being a parent, like gives you such a new perspective on it. Mm -hmm. Like even like with like fear and stuff like that. Like, have you seen, you've seen, have you seen pet cemetery? I haven't because just the, the name of it, it, Okay. <laughs> just the name of I'll it. Just, you don't need to watch it because oh, okay. it is, that's why I think Stephen King is one of the best authors because there's some stuff that I can watch that scared me a lot as a child, like the new It. If I'd watched that when I was a kid, I would have not have grown up to be who I am today. It would have scared me so much. Yeah. But like yeah. with Pet Cemetery, there's a scene in it that will hit a parent in a way that is literally the most horrifying thing you can imagine. And it like that type of stuff didn't, you know, really break through with me when I didn't have a child. Right. So like, even with like, you know, sweet kids movies like Coco, you know, I'm telling you, it's such a good movie and she's, she will even love it because it's so colorful and it's full of music and it, it really does a lot to talk about, you know, Hispanic culture. Like it's really a great movie. It's one of nice. Pixar's it's one of Pixar's best movies. Like I, Zach I love is it. The family, Zach is the 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 movie person in our family. He has always been a movie person. So I'll definitely mention that to him because I just get to a point where I'm like, they have to be so particular about what I watch because I'm so just so sensitive, just so sensitive. And then I feel guilty because if I'm crying and then Opie, you know, senses that I don't want her to feel that energy, yeah. <laughs> like the walking dead. Some of that's hard for me to watch. Um, we saw the scene of Lori dying, um, you know, when she gave birth and that killed me. And I was like, wow, I've seen The Walking Dead, I mean, just an astronomical amount of times. But now that I have a parental mindset, I can't even process it the same way that I did before. Yep. It's crazy. I agree 100%. But 
I'm telling you that one, that one is great. It's so. Is it on Netflix or Hulu? Uh, I think it is. They have a, they actually have a Spanish version available on Netflix as well, but I'm pretty sure it's either on, it's either on Netflix or Disney plus for sure. Oh, we have both. Yeah. So, but yeah, a lot of those Pixar movies do that to me because like the first movie, this is the last thing I'll say, and then we can go ahead and end this because we'll talk all night if we get on this subject. (laughs) The first movie that I cried watching, that was a kid's movie post having Lily. I don't think I'd ever cried during a movie before having a child. But the first one was Trolls. Yeah. There's a scene in Trolls where I'm gonna I'm gonna get choked up talking about it because it was so sweet. It's like right at the end where all of their colors starting to fade and they're all down because they think they're about to get eaten by the Bergens and they start to sing together and they start holding hands and their color starts to come back. And I was holding Lily, she couldn't have been two years old. And she started to sing with the trolls. Oh, oh no. no. Oh <laughs> my God. And she thought something was wrong because she saw that I was crying and she says, it's okay. And oh, I lost it. I can't. Oh my God. It was so unbelievably sweet. And it's those little things that, you know, I feel like blow depression out of the water. Those Mm -hmm. little, little sparkling gold moments like that make everything kind of go away for at least a while. Absolutely. It's not worth it for sure. Yep. For sure. Well, hey, we officially have been talking for two hours and 30 minutes. And I just, (laughs) I just, I cannot tell you how much I appreciate you sitting down and having this conversation with me. I feel like a lot of people can, you know, have something to gain from it. And, you know, I just, all I can say is thank you. I'm so proud of y'all. All All the posts that I see of y'all, you know, every time we never say anything negative about either of you, it's just always like, look at them, you know, like we're, we're so proud of y'all. I really appreciate that. And we're really proud of you too. Let me just tell you that. I'm not, I can't cause I'm, I'm telling you I'm too sensitive. <laughs> um, but we've been friends for a really long time and you've seen me in a lot of different places and you were there when me and Zach first met. So you've seen him. Um, in a lot of different places, so it really does mean a lot. Yeah, I hope I hope the absolute best for y'all. Just you know, keep in touch. Let me know, you know, Absolutely. how your move goes, and you know, if you have problems with something, adjusting to a new area, reach out to me. Because if there's anything I know how to do, it's how to adjust to something new to the best of my ability. So yeah. I'll, I'll do whatever I can for you guys. If you ever need anything, just reach out. And even though we're thousands of miles apart, I'll, I'll do what I can for you guys. I really appreciate that. I really do. I appreciate that. Everything you've done, your friendship, your podcast, your YouTube videos, literally everything that you do for other people does not go unnoticed. And I'm, I'm really, really proud of you because there was a, there was a moment where I was, um, worried, 
when you graduated high school. Yeah. <laughs> I'm really well, proud of that. It, uh, that helped, that really helped me grow as a person. And we actually just had a conversation about that the other night. And it was a conversation that needed to be had because we had avoided it for so long. And it, I mean, we still, even after being married for five years and having a child, we're still learning things about each other and continuing to grow as a couple. And love that. But I, I appreciate love, it. I love that you have Zaina. <laughs> yep. yep. She, she's my, my rock. So well, her thank and you. Lily. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, you know, have a good rest of your day. Kiss that baby for me and uh, tell Zach I said, hey. Absolutely. I'll do that. All right. You have a good one. You too. Once again, a big thank you to Peyton for sitting down and talking with me today. I know I probably said thank you about a hundred times right at the end of the episode, but I really appreciated the uh, conversation that we had. And, you know, all in all, I think, I think that's more of a conversation that everybody needs to have. We just need to work on, you know, communicating how we're feeling to one another. And I think that's something that we're missing a lot these days. Um, so with that being said, look, I really appreciate you guys listening. For those of you who have reached out to me and asked me, you know, hey, when's the next episode coming? I apologize for, you know, the inconsistency. I, I try to work at it and get more on top of it every day. But like I said at the beginning of the episode, it's just really hard to plan around everything that's going on. But I'll all I can do is get better. Okay? Hey, look, if you want to be on an episode of the Mac Daddy Seminar, or you just need somebody to talk to, reach out to me. It's fine. If you don't want to turn it into an episode of a podcast, that's fine. We can talk. That is 100% okay. But if you do want to be on an episode, let me know, and I'll see where I can work you in. Um, that's pretty much it, y'all. So uh, once again, I appreciate you guys listening, and I will see you guys whenever I see you. Y'all take care. <laughs>